welcome to the discussion on the partition of India. Uh, we have a very prominent personalities um, on the panel today. And this is an issue that has been um, impacting, it manifested into a far reaching um, global geopolitical cross current. So we are uh, looking forward to um, really introspecting and understanding what exactly transpired um, since 1947 and beyond. Uh, so let me introduce our esteemed panelists. Um, we have uh, Suki Chahal, the chairman of Punjab Foundation. Welcome Suki. He's an alumnus of Stanford University and he's um, worked in engineering with Netflix, um, with uh, Intel, Stanford uh, Healthcare, etc. Uh, his foundation is based out of the Silicon Valley. It's a nonprofit and provides educational support for underprivileged kids in India. Uh, he has also been on the board of various other nonprofit organizations like the Dream and Beauty Charitable Trust, its founder and chairman. And uh, he has been living in the Valley uh, for many years now, bridging relationships between the Hindu, Sikh, and Jewish communities. So he was born in the district of Mansa of Punjab and migrated to the United States in 1992. Good to see you, Suki. And we have Dr. Anirban um, Ganguly. He's the director of uh, Dr. Sama Prasad Mukherjee Research Foundation based out of New Delhi. And he is an um, eminent speaker, a thought leader, um, a public individual. He's been on the board of um, uh, the Central Advisory Board of Education, which is CABE. Uh, he's a member of Indian National Commission for Cooperation with UNESCO. Uh, he has um, been in the Ministry of Culture, the governing board of Orville Foundation as well. And he's authored a number of books, um, among which is Education, Philosophy and Practice in 2011, Swami Vivekananda, Buddha and Buddhism 2014, Debating Culture 2013, so on and so forth. Uh, he's a scholar of civilizational history, politics and culture, and he's a columnist with a number of dailies, including Times of India. And welcome, uh, Anirban. It's very good to see you. Thank and, you so much. Um, namaste. And uh, our um, uh, third panelist, Avatans, is actually uh, coordinating all the efforts of Indic, um, uh, you know, Indic Academy in the United States. So many of us uh, know him already. He's, um, he holds graduate degrees in linguistics from JNU and University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And uh, he's also taught linguistics and um, Hindi as a foreign language, um, respectively, in that university. He has been published um, in his Hindi poems as well. Um, and um, uh, he's an Ebenist columnist, public speaker, and activist. Um, Avatans currently leads the U.S. operations of Indic Academy, uh, incorporated as Indica in, Incorporated. It's a nonprofit organization in U.S. that seeks to bring about a global renaissance based on Indic civilizational thought. And Avatans resides in the U.S. as well. So welcome, Avatans. It's good to see you. Namaste. It's good to be in this eminent panel here. 
Namaste. Welcome, everybody. But we'll start with Suki on what uh, exactly happened in 1947 in Punjab. Uh, so, Majib, uh, 1947 is pretty much, we can say, is the uh, biggest uh, tragedy, uh, the violent uh, tragedy with the people of Punjab, we can say, because what we have heard and the first-hand information from our um, and the father figures and the, the people, those who are in like 85 plus year old, still alive. And the story which we heard from them, like 15 million people being displaced and more than 2 million people getting killed in this violent uh, the migration. And this is the tragedy. This is the story which has not been told properly, has not been documented properly especially the new generation has to know uh, what happened at the time and why did it happen and so what we can learn from there especially from these kind of tragedies uh, especially um, the Sikh population and the Punjabis actually so while we can say on the Bengal side actually so you can give me the, your uh, side of story on this side actually because you know, we have to understand the history behind a little bit and so uh, when the British took over the India and uh, the Punjab part was pretty much the last part actually, so they were able to um, capture. And because it was ruled by the Maharaja Ranjit Singh, that was the Sikhras, it was uh, pretty much starting from the Afghanistan border to Jammu and Lahore and Peshawar and uh, even up to uh, Tibet. Uh, it was a huge actually, so the Khalsaras. And uh, when it took over after that, actually, so when partition happened, actually, so while we say it's a partition of India, right, in India and Pakistan, and we say it's a partition of Punjab because the people was very prosperous and the Sikh people, Punjabi people in that area, and they were the defender of India at the time because the people, all the attacks uh, to on India, actually, so were coming from the Afghanistan, and so we were the kind of buffer zone. And uh, this is a big tragedy happened and many people get uh, killed at the time and uh, um, kind of um, brutality happened. Uh, it is eye-opener, actually, because when you talk to any person in Punjab in the day, that like even people anywhere in the world, at least so those who have seen it, you talk to them, they will cry like a kid, actually, because it was so horrible. And how many rapes happened and how many killing happened during that time and it was tragedy. It was a tragedy, and uh, so that's where the people have seen it. And hopefully, at least, so we can learn some lesson from there, and uh, why it happened. Because the six was the third, large, uh, third largest population at the time, because uh, after Hindus and Muslim, and uh, so their contribution and the six uh, contribution was huge. Actually, for as a defender of India, actually, so when it's come to the the unity and the integrity and the hard work, what we have done. So going to leaving their place and suddenly overnight coming to India side and getting slaughtered all over, uh, it, it was a tragedy. It is a pain. It, it was a very painful story, actually. Thank you, Suki. So if you can just let us know quickly that what happened uh, for repatriation when you moved, and then subsequently we know about the. Sikh massacre happening in 1984. So how did that come about? If you can just let us know quickly. Yeah, Sikh massacre, actually, because they, nobody was mentally prepared, actually. So these Sikhs at the last minute, actually, so they were not properly advised, properly told, actually, so that they have to migrate on the India side, actually, right? Because the people, uh, there was no 
way actually so in the history you go back to in the history you have to take a look on the philosophy of guru nanak dev ji and you have to understand actually so philosophy of guru gobind singh ji because not only sikh has to know the philosophy and even i think actually every hindu needs to understand the philosophy of the guru gobind singh because the guru gobind singh the sikh philosophy is only not only for the sikhs and this is the philosophy for everybody because we call it sarvat kapala so we all actually because we kind of relationship and the hindu sikhs has at least is unbreakable bond so that's why like when this partition happened and the people has to move over there and many because all they were getting killed over there all the villages were being massacred actually at that time and so many uh, during that time actually the sikh women instead of getting captured and uh, and and uh, getting raped by these people and so they decided to get them killed by themselves they put the petrol on themselves and so they burned themselves actually so they because they don't want to compromise compromise their integrity or dignity and there's many of the girls actually so even there is so many events happen in the 1947 actually so that like even they decided to pretty much throw themselves actually in the wells in the villages actually so instead of getting captured actually because the, all these atrocities happened at that time many many people many people actually especially the punjabi and sikh killed over there uh, so that's why it, it was a very very like a sad part in in the and i i would say it it was one of the biggest blunder uh, even the british did actually so during that time Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sukhi. Thanks for giving us this uh, perspective. I would move to Dr. Uh, Anirban Ganguly about the perspective from Bengal. We know that um, Lord Curzon tried to partition us way before in 1905, and it's important to know what was going on in Europe that time. You know, UK was at the verge of the First World War, and they definitely needed people to fight the war for themselves. but the partition attempt at 1905 failed and um the bengal leadership rose to the occasion and then subsequently a lot of stuff happened and we eventually had the partition in 1947 but we would hear from the scholar uh, so anirban welcome i wish you could share this side of the history please thank you so much and i'm extremely grateful and delighted for having been invited here and it's very interesting the manner in which you have put up the panel because uh suki ji without uh, besides being a very uh, a very well known and celebrated personality in the indian community in the us uh, also represents that ethos and that psyche of the western partition of the of india's partition on the western front and you have you have by inviting me you have you have put the uh india's partition you have on the eastern front so we have to realize that in the partition in the partition history of india the story of india's partition has been very has been quite different on the western front and on the eastern front now you see i just start with uh, a small observation uh many people that you meet many diplomats foreign diplomats in india uh and otherwise also where foreign experts on india quote and quote experts will tell you that the caa the citizenship amendment act passed by the indian parliament is fine you know it's perfect it's absolutely we agree with it except that 
you need not have put that, you know, differentiation on religious basis, the citizenship on religious basis, you should not have put that. Otherwise, that's fine. But whoever says this forgets that India's partition was based on religion. It was not a secular partition. It was not a partition that happened the manner that happened in Korea, between North Korea and South Korea. That was an ideological, that was a secular partition. It had no religious implications or element in it. Therefore, when we talk about the Citizenship Amendment Act, which we say is the conclusion of a long history, of a long open-ended chapter in history, in India's partition history, we, we must not forget that India's partition was based on religion, one. Second is, unlike the Western Front, on the Eastern Front in the partition, the Eastern Front partition did not see a complete exchange of population. Dr. B.R. Ambedkar, Dr. Shama Prashad Mukherjee demanded a complete exchange of population. If you are partitioning, let us partition completely, let us exchange completely, and let us get this episode over once for all. Nehru, for strange reasons, refused to do that. And therefore, we see that while the Western part of, of the partition, the Western theater of partition, was as bloody, was as difficult, was as heart-rending as the Eastern part, as the Eastern theater, but the Western theater had a close, had a, had a closure at a certain point of time. And then whatever any of those, any of those uh, uh, Hindus who came away from Punjab or from Sin came in in a trickle. Because in any case, there was a major exchange of population that took place on the Western Front. And uh, on 7th August 1950, when there was this debate going on in Parliament and when Dr. Shama Prashad Mukherjee reminded Nehru that you did not hesitate to have an exchange of population on the Western Front. What is stopping you from having that in the Eastern Front? Nehru said an exchange of population will be will be spiritually, economically, culturally disastrous for India. So then Dr. Mukherjee asked him the question, why didn't you keep this logic? Why didn't you apply this logic when on the Western Front? So therefore, please put this logic in cold storage and have a complete exchange of population on the Eastern Front, but it was not done. The second aspect of the Eastern Front partition was that the refugees who came across from East Bengal, later East Pakistan, were given relief and not rehabilitation. Because Nehru insisted, there was always this narrative that he had built because Patel was dead by 1950. Nehru insisted that all those who came from East Bengal must go back to East Bengal without even ensuring where they would go back. Because once you had to leave your home and hearth, you never knew whether you would get them back once you went back because they were occupied. And the third and the last point, in a, in, you know, if I just want to put it in a nutshell, the third and the last point is that the Eastern Front saw a continued pogrom of the Bengali Hindu minorities, which started in January 1950 and continued till October 2001, when there was a BNP government of Khalid Azia, which came to power. 
after 2001 it has reduced the you know the scale has drastically come down after the bnp government was finally ousted the uh, jamaat islami coalition broke apart and an awami league government has been installed in power i'm not saying that the problem doesn't exist it does but pogrom of that magnitude started in january 1950 and continued till 2001 and that was because nehru refused had refused at that time to have an exchange of population so this is how i look at uh, the three dimensions of the eastern front eastern theater of partition there are two more points but i think you know there was i just want to make a very peculiar point i want to point out to a very peculiar incident that took place in in january 1948 that was not even just 6 months after independence a group of eminent gandhian leaders congress leaders eminent gandhians who had come away who were forced to come away from east bengal into west bengal attended the jaipur session of the all india congress committee aicc and they had gone prepared that they would present a memorandum to panditji and tell him that we the hindu bengali hindu refugees require rehabilitation we cannot go back there is no way that we can go back and reclaim our land and live there with dignity we have tried but we were unable to but that and that's why we require the indian government to give us rehabilitation and not only relief and when they went and met panditji in jaipur during the aicc session he looked he looked at them extremely flabbergasted and irritated saying that you should not come to me with this issue you should go to the foreign affairs department of the congress with this issue so by 1945 48 january he had already started looking at the bengali hindu refugees as foreigners who who necessarily could not stay on in india and had to be convinced to go back and then you know there are of course layers into layers into this the entire nehru liaquat pact which failed etc and then you know situations had to develop jogendranath mandal why he had to come away the entire dalit you know the marginalized sections had to migrate and etc until we come to the 1971 bangladesh war sydney uh, uh, shanberg's uh, reports in the new york times and you see the continuation of that problem even in 71 when the largest chunk of refugees came away to india that was the most heart wrenching to see that what the people have gone through and they were not really accepted by the then uh, government of india you talked about um, not having uh, rehabilitation so what exactly happened in the refugee quarters i mean how were they living i mean did they have a place to go at all in west bengal no you know they 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 did not you see let's accept it because this was a problem of a huge magnitude and west bengal and and uh, we were fortunate enough that a portion of bengal was saved and because that's when dr sham prashad mukherjee raised the demand when you you spoke about the bengal partition of 1905 and on march 27 1947 just a few months before independence dr mukherjee gave out a public statement where he says where he had already demanded that bengal be partitioned between the hindu majority areas which wanted to be with india and he was very clear he says that look the hindus did not ask for partition the hindus did not demand for partition of india and the irony was that and he pointed this out even in his resignation statement in parliament that the majority of those 
who demanded partition, who demanded Pakistan, actually stayed back in India. They didn't, they didn't migrate to Pakistan. So this is one of the greatest ironies of uh, partition history, that those loudmouths, those uh, you know, blackmailers in that sense, who demanded Pakistan, stayed back, majority of them stayed back in India. And that was when uh, Sardar Patel in 1948, January, in Lucknow and in Kolkata, gave that famous uh, public address of his, against which people had gone and complained to Mahatma Gandhi, that Patel was blackmailing, uh, Patel was being tough. Patel had said, look, he had exactly said this. He had said, those who had demanded Pakistan, majority of them have not gone to Pakistan, they have stayed back in India. So it is natural that we look upon you, you with suspicion until you prove yourself worthy of faith and say that you are going to live in India equally and uh, work for India's unity in future. Well, that was a part. But now the point is that, you see, there was no, re there was just relief. Relief meant pavement of the Howrah station or the Sialda station in Kolkata, for those of you who have seen it, the pavement of Howrah and Sialda station some ramshackle tents somewhere put up, and that's it. And some ration coming their way, living in, uh, living cheek to jaw in, in the most difficult conditions. Imagine an a family overnight living in a mansion or being very, very, very well off, having hundreds of acres of land in East Bengal, overnight having to come and subsist and survive on the pavement of Sialda station. This was the kind of relief that was given. And Nehru was adamant. There are correspondences between Dr. B.C. Roy and Jawaharlal Nehru. Uh, there are uh, debates and discussions and fights in parliament. He was absolutely adamant that they will have to go back because you have to salvage the idea of a secular India. And therefore, they have to go back. And the best part of it, uh, the ironical part of it was the Nehru-Liakat Pact insisted that minorities in either countries would be looked after. Starting from Dr. Mukherjee and all the uh, many senior leaders of that time, even Congress leaders like Pandit Lakshmi Maitra, who was the first member of parliament from Navadvip, member of the Constituent Assembly, kept saying that, look, we are carrying out our duty towards our minorities. In fact, no minority, even those who had gone off to East Bengal after from West Bengal, minorities who had gone back to East Bengal, who had gone because they wanted to be in Pakistan, within a few months, many of them even came back to West Bengal because they realized even being a Muslim, they couldn't survive. They couldn't in that strangulating atmosphere that was Pakistan. So this is how uh, the Bengali Hindu refugees was looked after. And so you had the refugees from Punjab coming in absolutely, but since there was this exchange of population, since the Western, after the refugees came, especially to Delhi and to these areas, a very tough life, they began from scratch, but because they were rehabilitated, they again grew into a very strong and mighty community, which the Bengali Hindu refugees could never, because of this uh, approach, that peculiar approach that Nehru had. Very interesting. I think most of us uh, didn't really know what happened in the aftermath. There was so much, so much of conflict and chaos. And um, we see, uh, you know, both regions, both Punjab and West Bengal have been affected by various kinds of um, 
anarchist, separatists, uh, you know, ideologues uh, trying to make way there. But before we move on to, you know, learning more about Punjab and West Bengal, I would like to uh, invite Avatans. Um, you know, he's uh, an academic and um, so the narratives uh, that we are sharing now on the partition, uh, what do you have to say about the campus, you know, what was going on in India and also in the United States? I mean, do we hear these stories in the um, institutions, in the campuses at all? The short answer is no. But before I do, I, I would like to thank uh, you and Indic Academy to be on this panel. And I'm really fortunate to be in this August company. Um, and if you can see, I'm wearing my JNU shirt <laughs> and have my villain <laughs> up representing both campuses very well. And uh, um, I am very proud, uh, you know, wherever I go, when I talk about my education, people, the moment they hear JNU, there's a, all kinds of reaction, but I'm very fortunate and proud to be a JNU alumnus. I got to be uh, you know, taught by some of the very, very good scholars and professors and acharyas. Uh, um, so Thank in that sense- Also, yes. Avatar is uh, way senior, but yeah, both of us yes. share the same thoughts. Exactly. So I'm fortunate. But, you know, um, Anirbanji talked about some of the tragedies and uh, Sukhiji also. And I shared this uh, information about this webinar on my Facebook page. And one of the one of my friends said, you know, it's, I don't even want to talk about it, because it's so mind boggling, it's so hurtful. And this is not just one friend. I have so many friends even here. And, uh, you know, their parents migrated. When I talked to them, they said they don't know anything. Their parents don't even talk about it. The trauma is so huge. And that is the problem with his history writing. Uh, we have a lot of problem uh, in, in writing history in general, because the way the history is written is very faulty and biased. Because remember, E.H. Carr, when we talk about E.H. Carr, he writes, what is history? He says, well, history, the facts are like fish floating in a pond and the historians pick those fishes and uh, they cook it according to their taste. So it's all about opinions. And when you talk about, uh, again, uh, Professor uh, S.N. Balagangadhar, Professor Balu, he talks about, you know, there's nothing historical, uh, there's nothing scientific and critical about this history writing. All it is, the BS sold as science is history, is what he basically says. And then we have to also look at the history writing in terms of India's history writing. There's a lot of problem there because most of the people who wrote about Indian history are foreigners, okay? Um, during the time, Indologies, we come to mind come to mind, the Indologists, they, they, were, they wrote a lot about India. And uh, if you read some of the recent research by, for, for example, Professor Vishwa Adluri and Professor Joydik Bhakti, they, they write about this, their biases. And they say that, you know, the Indologists did not believe that we even have access to our own texts that we have that have been handed down to us for 5,000 years. 
we don't have access. So somebody else needs to tell us what our text means, so what our culture means, what our history means, what our itihas means, what our Quran means. Okay, um, you know. So and then then we come to the writing of history of partition, and it's basically we have come down to is a point in time, 1947. That's pretty much it. We discuss it as a chronology, as an event and calendar. Not much is written, but if you look at uh, some of the, you know, the prehistory of 1947, the partition, and post-history of 1947. There isn't much in terms of academics. So people recently have started collecting stories, memoirs, and art artists have started doing started doing some of those things. But academic level, there isn't much. Um, after independence, quote unquote, we have nationalist historians writing about partition, well, Marxists are not nationalists. So they can never be Mar uh, nationalists. So though we don't have a nationalist narrative of partition. Okay, so going back, I, you know, if I can go back, people talk about 30, 40 years prior to uh, partition is the history. No, I think we, we can go back and talk about a partition from all the way when the British came, that's when the roots of partition, the two nation theory started to creep in, in the, you know, the Muslim rule was getting weaker. Um, and by the time the British came, all the aristocracy, they went back, right? Uh, and then uh, one of the main figures of two nation theory, if you read some of the literature, is Sir Sayyid Ahmed Khan. Okay, and he has a lot of things. I know we have two Bengalis here. He has a lot of things to say about Bengalis, and I will read some of his quotes. But the in interesting, some of the interesting talks. He, he goes to Merit in 1888, and he's talking about. Uh, he's giving a speech, and he says, "Now suppose that all English and the whole English army were to leave India, taking with them all their cannon." and their splendid weapon and everything, then who would be the rulers of India? It is possible. Is it possible that under these circumstances, two nations, the Mohammedans and the Hindus could sit on the same throne and remain equal in power? Most certainly not. It is necessary that one of them should conquer the other and thrust it down to hope that both could remain equal is to desire the impossible and inconceivable. This is Sir Sayyid, Sayyid Ahmed Khan, and we have a huge uh, public funded university in his honor. Um, so, and you know, we don't know about, nobody talks about it. You talked about uh, narrative and campus, but we don't, we don't hear about this. You know, who says, oh, my brother, Muslims, I again remind you that you have ruled nations and have for centuries held different countries in your grasp for 700 years in India, you know? So you know how to rule, he says. This is his quote and, uh, you know, you can go and look it up. It's all from Columbia University uh, website. Uh, they have a huge collection of uh, uh, works. So we haven't talked about the prehistory. 
past history after 1947, what has happened? Well, we have not seen, you know, one of the things that happened, and now I'm coming back to campus in the US, is India has disappeared from all narrative, academic narrative. It has become South Asia. You know, Indian subcontinent has disappeared. It has become South Asia. Hindu has disappeared. You know, it has become South Asian religion. Hindu, any, all Indic religions have become South Asian religions. So there is no Buddhism, there is no Jainism, there is no Sikhism, uh, and definitely not Hinduism. They all have become South Asian religion. So that's the narrative in the US campus. And now you see we have uh, South Asian departments of South Asian uh, studies in India. You know, used, used to be, at least used to be department of Indology. You know, in prior to that, when the, the, when the Germans were doing it, it had some India in it. But we completely lost that India part, Hindu part, after 1947, the world over. Another part we don't, we don't necessarily talk about is the, the language. You know, um, the, uh, Urdu, suddenly people who spoke for generations, Punjabi, Sindhi, suddenly, re suddenly realized that now they have to talk Urdu. They have to learn Urdu. Because in the Pakistani, the Western part of India, nobody knew Urdu. It was the language of Biharis and, and, and the UP Walas. Those who, like Anirbanda said, voted for partition. But now suddenly there is a new language to deal with for them. You know, so it, I, somehow the Bengali people did not buy that, um, you know, and, and we have a different, you know, West, uh, Bangladesh come up. Okay. Um, I mean, Avatans, what you're saying is like most fascinating in the sense that after partition, now we have suppression. So <laughs> first we were parted and now they suppress our narrative. So it's all in collective, the South Asian basket. So we don't even have an identity of our own. I mean, this yeah. is extremely tragic. And the Islamist lobby, like you mentioned, obviously are continuing with the same narrative. I, I just wanted to make a, one quick point that we have not only lost narrative, but when we talk about our narrative, we are called all sorts of names. You know, right. Right. Then this hand, right. that hand. Yeah. Then, hand. then, then it's uh, you know, it's all in a derogatory sense that you want to talk about your history. How dare right. you? You know, right. that is what is coming up right now. Right. So with that, um, thank you, Abatans. I'll move to Suki. Obviously, rehabilitation for the Punjabi people, have the Sikh people have not been easy in the land. We all know the horrors that transpired in 1984 with the demise of Indira Gandhi, then how Pakistan have been, you know, they flooded the area with guns, um, with drugs, uh, with, you know, uh, illegal, um, uh, you know, immigration of uh, people and um, substances and the, uh, holiest of places, um, the Sikh temple, the Golden Temple, uh, have also been targeted in the past. Suzuki, please tell us what happened. Yeah, so Maji, before I answer that question, at least two, three very important questions already been raised by 
Gongali Saab and uh, Kumar Saab. Um, uh, Mr. Uh, Gongli Saab, he mentioned rehabilitation, uh, especially on the Western part, right? And also, he also mentioned the, the partition based upon the religion, right? And uh, Kumar Saab also mentioned the history should be retold. These are very critical, very important part because not too many people understand. History needs to be told because by the Sikh people, Punjabi people, they came to U.S. more than 100 years back in 1900. You, we live in San Francisco area, not too many people know exactly. So what were the contribution of the Gadar people, the people, those who start the Gadar movement? And these people, they established the Gadar movement in the Berkeley, you see Berkeley in San Francisco area. During that time, at least when discrimination was on the peak, and why they did it, why they went back, at least so what was their contribution to get the freedom uh, of like to kick the, the British out of India. And also we have to teach that, we have to tell the history to our new generation, what happened in Vancouver in Kamangata Maru. And who were these people, why they came over there when they brought the whole ship, they went back to Calcutta, what happened to them? We also need to tell them, these people, that what happened to the Sikhs, actually, because being less than one, less than two percent, actually, so we have to go take a look in the Andaman Nicobar Deep Smooth, and we have to see actually what happened in the cellular jail. How many people were the Sikhs over there? So that's where Sikhs was everywhere, actually. So when it comes to the contribution to the, especially as a defender to the India. Right, and so that's where the people and the Sikh at that time, the Sikh leadership at that time, they were naive actually because they were not politically that strong. Right, they had an option to seek for the separate state. They chose to come with India because they knew actually because now the partition is being done based on the religion. What will happen to them? And so that's because they know the history. In history, what happened to Guru Gobind Singh's son? What, what happened actually because all the Islamic rulers, those who came to India, what was the first agenda? To convert them everywhere actually. So all these conversions happen in India at the massive scale. It is still happening inside the Pakistan. If the Sikh could have chosen to stay with the Pakistan at the time, and I, my name could have been Sukhi Khan or something like that. Because by this time, actually, all the Sikhs could have been converted. And all what is happening inside the Pakistan, that's a very clear indication, actually, because whatever the Sikh leadership at that time did, that was the right move. But unfortunately, at the same time, as during that time, the people, those who ruled the, the India after the partition, they did no, they were not very fair to the Sikh community. So that's why they were resentment, actually, because whatever the promise was made to them by these uh, uh, the Congress government at the time, at least, so they were not delivered. So that's why they have to fight for the um, for their rights. And this is the ongoing uh, and the continuous likely from the even before the 47 and after the 47 too. And what happened during the emergency and who were the people, it was the Sikh people from the Punjab side at least who went to the jails to fight against the emergency. So that's why then after that, the narrative was being built up at least. So uh, then, then the Akalis were, were, were also looking for their own area because earlier the Punjab it used to call Pepsu Punjab. And so that's why they have to seek the, so the, where they have a, their own state, at least, so where they can also live peacefully. So that's why like, they have to divide. Like, earlier, uh, the Punjab, the Maha Punjab, we call it a bigger Punjab, Pepsi Punjab, it was uh, Haryana, 
Himachal and Punjab was one state at least. So then after that, at least so they have to fight. So again, again, although given all the contribution of the six people has in the India, uh, the agriculture area and the sports and, and especially the bravery and took a look at the, the Indian army today. Having all these contributions, there was just some resentment and still exists today. It happens because 1984, at so you mentioned the war actually, because six were not the terrorists, six were the defender of the India, and six and the Hindu people, at least so you cannot see, see them separate. Only if you go back to before 70, and you will see every Hindu gentleman, families in Punjab, at least, so they used to make their first son or the daughter as a Sikh people. Even the people in Punjab, at least, so they used to be the turban, right? And so now suddenly, so the narratives was started, at least, so start building up, at least, so no, these people are very hard-headed, at least, so they fight this and that, at least, so they, yeah. So then, but during that time, the Pakistan took the advantage of the situation. The Pakistan ISI, at least, so they bring the phenomena of the, like, they are looking for the colors which is totally ridiculous that it was never demanded by the Sikhs and it is never uh, even today at least the people those who are talking about the Khalistan I don't even consider them the, uh, the Sikh people because if we if I if they we are talking about the Khalistan I'm talking about the whole India for me it's today Khalistan actually because Khalistan means the pure because everywhere you go Guru Gobind Singh was born in Patna it is in Bihar it is not in Punjab right where was guru guru tegh bahadur came from he came from bihar he came to punjab and all the what is the background of all the sikh gurus actually so if you, if i go back in my history if i go 300 years back like i will find out so my history is also connected to the hindu hindu community too so that's why that cannot be separated out actually because that history needs to be told to the new generation actually the people though because these some of the the forces anti-indian forces especially the pakistani they are getting into the especially the sikh religious affairs actually so they have been very successful they are the one actually who trying to create a narrative that we are anti-sikh we are anti-indian sikhs are anti-indian no you see when the people came over here so they were uh, uh, affiliated and sikh has been very hard work they have been progressed within india and outside india too they are very hard workers they are very loyal to india and you can see their contribution every field so that's why because of that actually so during that time what happened in 1984 in the attack on the Dwar Shah, it was after partition that was the second blunder actually so they have done doing the attack on the Dwar Shah, there could have been much better option actually right then after that actually so what happened to the um, uh, mrs gandhi uh, get killed over there so the people all the the Sikh people in the thousand actually so get slaughtered at least kind of genocide happened for three days and killing happened over there but at that time actually the, after 30 the, uh, more than 30 years justice was not served so that's why Sikh had some issues actually so they have a genuine issue because it took almost 30 more than 30 years for the consistent government at that time to suppress actually so the freedom their justice was delayed it was denied to them Fortunately, the late, uh, like lately, when uh, Mr. Modi came in, 
and I ask so many people, even the radical people, at least, to tell us actually what is the resentment we have with the BJP right now, because they have been very fair to the Sikh community, and we do not have any issue with the, especially the current BJP government, because the 550th birthday of the Guru Nanak Dev Ji was celebrated at the grand scale throughout the world. Right, 350th birthday of the Guru Gobind Singh was celebrated throughout the world at the grand scale. The blacklist was, which was the people from Punjab during the terrorism, those who settled outside, at least, so they were in the blacklist. The blacklist was pruned. The people, those who, because of the terrorism, was which was started by the Pakistani agencies in the Punjab, and the youth was Punjab was destroyed, and the all the drugs were pumped in the Punjab. At least, so because of that, many people like us, I'm also one of them. We came and we have to seek the refuge in the other country. So then there was an issue. At least, so then we were not able to go back. And I'm really thankful to the central government, today's government. At least, so they were able to issue the passports to any but who has seeking the refugee status outside India. And having said that, actually after that, like in the 1984, and uh, many people had already been gone to the jail, right? And also many cases had been being opened. All the political prison, many pre political prison, prisons are being released. But unfortunately, there are a bunch of, few of the, I cannot say six, because when we say six are not, we should not, we have to, to tell the story, we have to tell the history because these people, those who are protest in front of the Indian consulate or anywhere in in, in front of all these embassies, uh, I don't consider them then the Sikh because actually they are the Gadar of the Sikh actually because of these people actually because all the whatever our gurus have done, whatever their philosophy was that, so they are miles away from them. So that's why actually so that story has to be tell, told to the new generation that history has to be rewritten. We have to tell that we worry the contribution of the Sikh people, what the Sikh people are, what their history is, and where Guru's history is. When Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahib came, gave, gave his sacrifice, and there were the other four people, who were them? That history also we told at least so they were all four Hindu people at least so when Guru Tegh Bahadur was sacrificed in 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 New Delhi so when Bandha, who was Banda Bahadur Banda Bahadur was the was the Hindu guy at least so that's why when the Khalsa first who established the first Khalsa Raj and so when what happened to the the kids of Guru Gobind Singh and why they were killed and who killed them and what was the reason at least so because they did not they disagree to get converted to Islam. So that's why they, they get slaughtered. All that history narrative has to be changed, actually, because uh, unfortunately, as you mentioned earlier, at least, as Kumar Sarma mentioned too, actually, because their narrative is very wrong. People have been, like, we are being projected, actually, we are anti-India. No, for me, India is first, because this is my Karampumi, India is my Janampumi, India is the whole India, is, uh, is like, there's so many Gurdwaras, you go to uh, Bihar, you go to Maharashtra, you go to Bidar, you go to uh, any, like, uh, Delhi, everywhere because how can we even think about being away from India actually so that's why India for us India like the contribution of the Sikh people is huge and it has been and it will be and you can see even in the latest army too actually so whenever it's come to defending India Sikhs are always there and it has to be there because that's what has been told that is the philosophy of Guru Gobind Singh and that's the philosophy of Guru Nanak Dev Ji that philosophy has to be told, especially as I mentioned earlier, 
every Hindu gentleman need to understand the philosophy of Guru Gobind Singh and also Guru Nanak Dev that has to learn. Once you learn their history, once you learn their philosophy, you, they will understand actually. So what they need to do next. Absolutely. Fantastic. So key to give us this holistic perspective. Obviously, we cannot separate uh, our Sikh brothers and sisters from um, the Hindu brothers and sisters. And um, there's been a long history that has been twisted and we see it in California. You and I both live. We know how much you fight this uh, separatist narrative and, you know, you're bringing forward the true philosophical aspect of Sikhism to the community. So thank you. Uh, we are very grateful for the work that you are doing, uh, not just in the United States, but worldwide. So I would like to move to Anirban with this, because in West Bengal, we know you shortly mentioned about the Dalit massacre, the Marichapi, then we had communism for three decades. And recently we see the current uh, state government is putting substantial efforts on Islamization of our history books, our narratives, also letting illegal immigrants from Bangladesh coming in. And CAAs, obviously, you know, there's a lot of misrepresentation, misinformation going on. So the region has gone through so many different kinds of uh, turbulence, philosophically, ideologically, uh, socially, economically, spiritually. Anirbanda, the floor is yours. You are, uh, you have to yes, unmute. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, there's one, I don't know, uh, because since uh, uh, all of you are based in the US, and we are having a discussion on partition, on uh, refugees. I don't know how far this book has really been discussed, but I'm, I, I had read it five years ago. I keep referring to it. But uh, I'm convinced that there has again been a, a certain conspiracy of silence against this book, Gary Bass's Blood Telegram. Because this is a book, I think, which we must keep referring to, especially uh, when we want to know uh, the... 71 phase the Bangladesh Liberation War and in that in that we particularly this book is interesting for me because particularly there's a lot to do with what Edward Kennedy at that point of time did as senator the, the kind of visit that he undertook in West Bengal the bordering areas of West Bengal and the eye-opening visits and it was an eye-opener for him and it was because of him and because of Sidney Sheinberg, that the entire, entire narrative of the 71 war from the perspective of the Bengali Hindu minority in East Pakistan came to light. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, so, well, um, uh, I think, uh, you know, so, and when Sukhiji was talking, I was remembering, uh, because it's all there in my personal collection, Harold Gold's uh, very famous work, Six Swami's Students and Spies. The way, uh, uh, the, the way the Indian lobby in the United States uh, really fought for the rights. And um, uh, right from, and the, the India lobby in the United States, 1900 to 1946. So that itself is a saga. And when he spoke about um, uh, the Gadar movement, Lala Hardayal, you know, there was a very, there's a very concerted attempt to, uh, you know, project him as a Marxist. Well, I mean, Lala Hardayal, if you read his books on uh, the kind of things he's written on Sanskrit, the kind of things he's written on Indian education, 
one would certainly i'm i'm sure the marxists have not read him in in it, in their in it, in his entirety because they would have certainly disagreed with him like the marxists are silent on what dr ambedkar has said on pakistan the marxists are silent on what dr ambedkar has the manner in which dr ambedkar had described the mopla riots not rebellion and the marxists are silent on jogendranath mandal the dalit hindu leader who was part of jinnah's cabinet the first law minister of free pakistan who could not last in jinnah's pakistan uh, more than 3 years he had to run away to west bengal and having done that his resignation letter which runs into 20 pages is an is a historic document which says why the bengali hindus cannot live cannot hope to have a future in pakistan now you see the problem has been and as i have discussed this quite often the problem has been that when the when the marxists took hold of our social sciences when the marxist cartel or the chicago or california cartels academic cartels as i also call them through the marxists in india took control of our social science institutions of our social science research there was a tremendous marginalization of the partition narrative and therefore very interestingly we see that even marxist leaders communist leaders who couldn't last 3 months in east pakistan or east bengal after independence i mean you know i think the many of us know but most of us like aftanji has said because there's been this uh, conspiracy of silence against this uh, against many episodes in history but since we are discussing partition that uh, uh, when west bengal when it was proposed that bengal be divided a large number of bengali leading bengali intellectuals came and stood beside by dr shama prashad mukherjee's demand for the partition of bengal interestingly even the congress leaders dr vidhan chandra roy led by dr bc roy the entire bengal congress supported the demand for partition of bengal because they clearly realized the bengali hindus and the bengali hindu leaders the bengali hindu community leaders clearly realized that they have no future if the entire bengal goes to jinnah goes into jinnah pakistan and that was the initial plan now what happened was that the communist at that time it was the communist party of india and why i am just saying you know getting into some detail here i'll come back because it's directly linked to the manner in which our partition history has been dished out or disseminated in the last 70 years in the last special in the last 50 years since the 1960s now the communist party of india also opposed the partition of bengal they said we don't want part bengal to be partitioned but what we certainly want we want bengal to remain intact as a province but we want the entire bengal to go into pakistan this was the stand of the communist party of india but then they must have realized when voting took place in the bengal assembly the communists voted for the partition of bengal this is a very convenient truth that they keep hidden that they keep hiding but this year under a lot of pressure because you know we saw that this year there was a tremendous amount of discussion on the partition of bengal on why west bengal was created starting from june 20th till the birth anniversary of dr shama prashad mukherjee on 6 july there was a tremendous amount of discussion around the, the bengal partition and that's when the communists saw 
that for the last 50 years they've tried to subdue and suppress this debate in West Bengal. This was not possible anymore. So they started saying that even we had supported the partition of Bengal. But this is the first time in 70 years you hear the Indian communists accepting that they voted in favor of the partition of Bengal. But what happened after that was they continued to support Pakistan. And when Dr. Mukherjee and Sardar Patel had made a demand that if Pakistan is unable to protect its minorities and is driving them out to India, then it must also part with commensurate portion of its land so that those minorities can be rehabilitated in India. This was a demand that Dr. Mukherjee had made. This was a demand that was supported by Sardar Patel. And we see in 1950, in 1951, just a few months after the uh, Indian constitution came into effect, Nehru brings in the first amendment. That is curtailing freedom of speech. And the one of the main, the main reason for bringing in the first amendment was to curtail, was to ensure that Dr. Mukherjee doesn't be, doesn't raise the demand for a further partition of Pakistan. So it's a very interesting thing. Now, this is one part. Second is, a large number of communist leaders could not stay back in East Pakistan, East Bengal, and they came to West Bengal. They came as refugees. They fled from East Pakistan, East Bengal, because they couldn't, uh, their party could not run there. Many of the communist leaders were imprisoned. Ila Mitra was especially one name. She was a very dynamic communist CPI leader, leading the tribals to revolt in the in Dinajpur area. She was taken, she was thrown into prison, tortured, and absolutely and given life imprisonment. And when she was completely near dead, on parole, she was allowed and she came to Kolkata, never to go back. She became twice member of the Legislative Assembly of West Bengal, but she could never go back. As a communist, she could never go back to East Pakistan. Now, on this entire story of partition, what happened was that there was a very interesting and concerted attempt by the communist historians, by the communist opinion makers and gatekeepers of narrative, that you discussed what happened to you after you became a refugee and came to West Bengal. You discussed that. You wrote about it, you wrote poems, you wrote books, you wrote stories, you wrote novels, but you never discussed why you became a refugee in the first place. So you have this entire genre of literature in West Bengal, which will tell you what happened to Hindu refugees, to refugees after they came to West Bengal, but which will never tell you why they became refugees in the first place. And if it was Nehru's demand that they go back and many of them did go back. They were pushed back. Why is it that they could not live in East Pakistan? Why is it that from January 1950, some of the most bloody pogroms, if you read AJ Kamra's book that is brought out by uh, the Voice of India publication, which was founded by Sitaram Goel, AJ Kamra makes a collection of, uh, of stories of pogroms in East Bengal, East Pakistan from 1950 to 1965. Heart trending. I, I can give it, give it to you in writing. You will not be able to go beyond three chapters in that book. It is so disconcerting. But all these were never discussed. Now, 
coming to uh, Shubhanjani, you please tell me when you want me to stop. Now, coming to the present in West Bengal, you see the irony was it? Irony was that till the left front government came to power, till the communist government came to power, Jyoti Basu and his cohorts, what they did was they kept telling the Bengali Hindu refugees, and you may know that the Bengali Hindu refugees who came were then scattered into various parts of India. Andaban Nicobar, Dandakaranya, which is at that time in the 50s, the Dandakaranya project started. You know, and it's a beautiful description that historian Prafulla Chakravarti gives that an entire race of people accustomed to lush green fields, accustomed to humid, a humid uh, climate, accustomed to rivers, to boats, you suddenly transport them into the arid zones of Dandakaranya and ask them to eke out and start anew their living there. So all the all that the communists didn't, did during their years out of uh, when they were not in power, they kept telling these refugees that once we are in power, we will rehabilitate you in West Bengal. And so in 77, when the Communist Party came to power, the CPIM came to power, the left front government came to power, the proletariat in the name of the proletariat. So these refugees started coming. They started coming as a natural process that now that this government, which had promised us, is in power, we can come back to West Bengal, which, has, which, is, which is well, a portion of all that they had left behind in East Bengal. It was similar. It was familiar to them. So they came to this island in Sundarban, Marijapi, which is, you know, just in the estuary, Sundarban estuary, which is one side is Bangladesh, which reminded them of their ancestral land and, and their ancestral life, what they had left behind. And they started staying in Marijapi, in the island. And they told the communist government, look, we don't need any help from you. We don't need any support from you. We have become hardened enough to fend for ourselves. All that we want is for you to let us live here. The Congress government previously had also tried to stall that. And then we see in 79, the left front government, the Jyoti Basu's government, fires, kills, Thousands of these Dalit Hindu, they were Dalit Bengali Hindu refugees who had come and settled in Maricha. Because politically it was that this 10,000 refugees there, had they survived, had they started off a new life, it would have been challenged. It would have been a challenge to this theory of class conflict, to this theory of control that uh, the communist parties across the world have always displayed in their systems. And so in the name of, and, and, the, and the most laughable part of is, it is that thousands of these refugees were massacred, their hearts burned, their women raped, their bodies thrown to the sharks in the sea, their wells poisoned, their children hacked, all in the name of preserving the ecosystem of Sundarbans. This was Marit Jhapi. So... Interestingly, right from 1958, Amritsar Congress, the CPI had one of its Congress, uh, one of its party meetings in Amritsar. And in 1958, from 1958, Amritsar Congress down to 1990s, most of the CPM leaders and members of parliament kept batting for the need of rehabilitating refugees and giving them citizenship. But when it came to doing that themselves, they massacred them. And the last point is, they did this in 79. And then in 2019, 40 years after that, when 
actually the indian parliament passed the citizenship amendment act to give those very refugees citizenship you see at the forefront of anti citizenship protests is the islamist lobby and islamist lobby teamed up with the communist parties and the communist lobby in india opposing again the granting of the citizen of citizenship to the bengali hindu refugees and of course uh, the present state of west bengal there's a uh, uh, you know i mean it goes without saying that the present government in west bengal is completely opposed to citizenship granting citizenship to the bengali hindu refugees because it's a captive government which runs itself on 30% of the islamic vote which is a block vote which is the radical islamic vote which is there in west bengal it sub survives and subsists on that and therefore it has to make a show of violently opposing the granting of citizenship to the bengali hindu refugees so in a sense if you see that saga is not it over it was the major closure was in december 2019 when the citizenship amendment act was passed by the indian parliament but the second wave of struggle has started after that and i am certain once uh, you know this entire pandemic situation comes a little more in control there's a little more relaxation in india in terms of lockdown it's already there but you know people get used to it will again see resurfacing of anti ca riots like like what happened in delhi it is in delhi what happened was a clear case of islamic radical penetration to what could have been a democratic protest against a democratically passed law in india but that did not happen so you know so many forces as sukhi ji said many forces have come into play now pakistan has always been active in punjab pakistan has always tried to get control of bangladesh and therefore in a sense uh, create instability in west bengal you have the entire jamaatul mujahideen bangladesh operatives in west bengal every third day they, some someone or the other gets caught sometimes they don't get caught so this is the current situation it's incredible i mean really i mean some of us being ethnic bengalis we can totally relate to the experience that you share that's been going on in this land this horrific experience for uh, you know more than 70 years now and um you know the saga is continuing in india the saga is continuing in united states you know looking at everything that's happened uh, since the abrogation of article 370 in kashmir and now with the caa we are having hearing after hearing in the united states as if caa is going to be in the ballot for the us election this november it has come to that magnitude with the same lobby group that you have been talking about so the diaspora is uh, fighting the same narratives uh, avatans uh, your take you're the expert here oh i'm certainly not the expert but i will say a few things here i'll pick up from sukhi ji what he said you know i have a, i had a very good fortune of having a good professors like i said in jnu one of them is professor kapil kapoor he used to say that guru granth sahib is the fifth veda you know so that's the level of connectivity we have and we have in atharvaveda there is a there is a mantra that says oh lord protect my motherland from all all enemies either with shastra or shastra okay so there is a good 
tradition of defending the motherland from both sides intellectually and for, with the weapons and that too. So there is a, we have a long tradition of fighter saints, you know, and Khalsa is one of them in that series of fighter saints, you know, Guru Gobind Sahib, Guru Gobind Singh. I'm from Patna, so I know Guru, 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 Guru Gobind Sahib was a fighter, right? Khalsa Pant. And we also have Nath Pant, you know, Guru Go, uh, Goraknath Pant. So these are all fighter saints. But what I'm, you know, one of the things that I want to pick up on is on the trauma that people have been talking about here, all the panelists here, they have been talking about. And it is not just enough that we already had a transgenerational trauma of Islamic invasion and the destruction of temple and everyone Dada talked about uh, Sitaram Goyal and his uh, painstaking work and uh, listing all the temples. You know, Iconoclasm, I'm reading um, Minakshi Jain's book on flight of deities. If that was not enough, you know, now we're still fighting the same kind of trauma. Look at where Pakistan is right now what is happening to whoever is left in Pakistan, to Hindus. Every day we hear about, you know, temples being destroyed, Afghanistan, the Gurdwara, massacre, huge massacre, in the hospital, you know, people. So we are still dealing with that trauma. It's, there's no end. And this is all related to partition, like it or not. And people don't talk about it because that's not convenient for many scholars and academicians. We also don't talk about Mopla. Uh, Anirbanda mentioned it briefly. Okay, we don't talk about Khilafat. All the roots of the partition, you know, they are, it's not in one day everything happened. It's a continuation. It's a continuum how it happened. Khilafat movement was one of them. And do you, do you know one of the persons involved in the Khilafat movement, though it, people project it as an agrarian crisis and all sorts of things, but in the end, it was Islamic State, the formation, creation of an Islamic State in Kerala. And one of the person involved was Malana Abul Kalam Ajad, who became the famous education minister of India. You know, we don't talk about direct action day in Kolkata, right? How many people died? How many people know about this? How many people talk about it? How many research papers have been written about this? So the whole narrative, you know, it's, we just confined it to one day and the, some of the things that are co convenient to the, uh, the, the prevalent narrative that was created by the Marxist and sent whoever leftist academicians, and it, it, they left it there. We totally agree, Avatans. And then uh, we, are, we have these uh, uh, uphill battle here constantly from these global lobby groups trying to tarnish our very identity image, um, you know, our very history uh, in the United States as well. And so we saw it and when we tried to uh, revise our history books in the California public schools and elsewhere, there were a tremendous amount of uh, rioting and uh, lobby groups, you know, working against it. So with that, Srinivas, do we have time for a um, couple of questions? 
I mean, um, um, if you have uh, questions, I think questions, in, the, I mean, in the chat box. I write, I took a look at some of those. I mean, most of the conversations we had today was based on the curiosity and the questions coming from our global audience. And we are extremely grateful uh, to Indic Academy for giving us this platform to continue with this very important uh, discussion that's impacting people in India and the global diaspora. So uh, before we end, I would like to invoke a Vedic Sanskrit mantra, which is a peace chant for the welfare, for peace and stability of our people worldwide. But before that, quickly, uh, Suki and Anirban, if you have any closing comments for a few minutes. So Suki. So much, thank you very much. And so I think uh, Dr. Nirban, and he raised a very uh, good question, especially the, the Bangladesh, uh, the, the defeat of the Pakistan in the Bangladesh was the creation of the Khalistan on the other side. Because that's where the Khalistan phenomena came in the picture, actually, because they were so embarrassed uh, upon their defeat, the Pakistan army was so embarrassed to just get even. So that's where they came up with the multi-cut, multi uh, the bleeding of India, the concept. So that's where they start actually. So that Mr. Putro at that time, he mentioned into to his inner circle that we will carve another Bangladesh, but it will be right next to our border. I mean, exactly what he was saying, at least so he was talking about the Punjab at the time. And so that's where the seed of the Khalistan was planted inside the Pakistan through the ISI with the help of the establishment over there. So that's why the, the, the whole phenomenon of the Khalistan, it was never the demand of the Sikh people, it was the creation of the ISI and the Pakistani army. So that's why they, then they start working since then, actually, so they are continuously working on that one. And they are pumping too much uh, uh, money and too much, especially the drugs, actually. So you could see the drugs in these days being pumped to the youth, at least in, in, in the Punjab. That is also coming, that, that's a ISI and the Pakistan is, is uh, deeply involved in that one. So that's a one thing. The other side, actually, so unfortunately, as we are talking about, we were talking about earlier, 1984, that time, actually, the killing of the six, right? We always talk about the killing of the Sikhs, actually. So that has to be condemned everywhere, actually. So I would call that was a genocide of the Sikhs for the three days by one specific political party goons, right? That has to be. And I would like to demand the, through your medium, especially the government, whatever the effort they have done, and they please, they should have done more, actually. So there's many cases have been reopened, and more needs to be done, actually, because that is what going to put the bomb on the wound of the Sikh community. But at the same time, many, not too many people talk about it because the Hindu people, those who help the Sikh people during that time, during these three days, they took the biggest risk and I salute these people over there because otherwise many girls, the ladies of the Sikh people could have been raped and killed. And that was actually so, so because of that, actually, because we cannot separate Hindu and Sikhs because it was not Hindu versus Sikhs or riots because the riots happen two party actually when the fight, right? 
this was not this was the belk managed calculated genocide of these people those who had a no no even idea what was happening in the pakistan like what was happening at that time inside the the punjab so that needs to be condemned and uh, also the another very important part actually because uh, uh, dr uh, uh, nirwan i was reading your book actually so when when last year i came from uh, india and i have your book um, uh this is the book <laughs> i have this one in this book actually so you have mentioned one thing because this traveling is very important because when you have to change the narrative actually because you interaction with the people is very important for anything even for the political reason too actually that's the way you you are able to connect that is like i was thinking because that is the concept of the guru nanak dev ji so that's why guru nanak dev ji 26000 miles he has to travel around not only within punjab actually throughout india and he went to all the sikh like not only sikh actually he reached out to all hindu religion right and even the muslim religion too so that the concept of the dialogue actually so is very important because we should not give up actually because the dialogue should be open the concept of the, um, the even with the any any radical exactly all right if you have an issue all right end of the day we have to sit down on the table we have to talk about it because we cannot just keep giving them the the freedom these people needs to be asked actually so they has to be questioned the narrative has to be changed we have to step out not only on the zoom call actually so like i do i would like to go out and talk to these people because it is not the activity of these rascals but inactivity of the good people which can destroy the society and that is exactly happening in my sikh community because sikhs are very brave people very hard working people very loyal to india and but unfortunately they have moved on and this like we don't want to mess these uh, these, these people like some of the goons and now they are taking advantage at least so all these people or some of these people Uh, like few few hundred of those around the world at least so they are giving the bad name to the sikh community the philosophy of guru gobind singh guru nanak dev ji is being destroyed by these goons and that needs to be addressed absolutely thank you sukhay for this uh, passionate uh, uh, rendition of uh, what needs to be done and we look up to you uh, for leadership definitely and the conversation needs to go on uh, anirban um, anything that you would like to tell uh, us and our global audience and a lot of people from india are also joining in tonight so fantastic fantastic discussion i wish we could uh, continue more but anirban your thoughts i just have three points to make i'm i'm actually very flattered sukhi ji has flashed my book i'm so delighted that he's read it and he's liked it um so the, the you know there are two three things i just wanted to make avdan ji mentioned uh, kapil ji kapil kapoor ji has had a lot of influence on many of us and he also speaks of one thing he says that there has to be a sense a sense of the we should never lose the sense of the adversary shatru bodh that because whenever we lose the sense of who our adversary is or who or what our adversaries uh, or who they are uh, will not be able to really strategize our defense and and, and as sri aurobindo calls it a defense should not be a passive defense it should be an aggressive defense 
The other is, uh, you know, Professor Arvind Sharma has, uh, uh, has that very interesting uh, framework that he says, insider, insider to outsider. We should start as insiders start speaking out to outsiders and not allow outsiders to control our narrative. And of course, uh, you see, uh, you have a partition museum in Amritsar, but till date, there is no partition museum in West Bengal. So I really appeal to the entire diaspora, to the global audience, that whenever a possibility arises, because you can't expect the present, the present uh, rulers, uh, the present government in West Bengal to even think of something like this. 35 years, the uh, Communist Party, the left front has never done something like that. Hopefully when there's change in West Bengal, a much anticipated and a much needed change, the entire Bengali Hindu community must come across from across the world and come together and make a grand, erect a grand partition museum in West Bengal. So that why was it that Bengal, a province with two time zones, so rich, with so much potential, such a nodal central province in India had to be divided. That history and the millions of people who have suffered, that history is never forgotten by coming generation of Bengalis. And that no one else, no ideology, no political party will have the, will have the temerity to try and even think that the history of partition can be erased from the psyche of the Bengali Hindus. I think these are the points I wanted. Thank you, Arun. Deeply appreciate your thoughts. Uh, we deeply appreciate your presence, all the three panelists. Thank you for your time and commitment to the cause of our people, our motherland, Janma Bhumi, Matri Bhumi. And uh, with that, I would like to render the Vedic Peace Mantra. Uh, please join me. Purnamada Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamiva Avashisyate Purnamiva Avashisyate Om Shanti 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 Thank you everybody. Namaste. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to Indic Academy for inviting me. It's been a great experience. And I'm really delighted to connect with Aptansji and with Sukhiji. And uh, I look forward to remaining in touch. And it has been extremely inspiring to listen to all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, the Thank you. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> look forward to continuing the dialogue. Namaste. 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 Namaste.